bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hey everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome to another installment of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. Our little woo season continues and sadly concludes this week with a look at what is, in my view at least, one of the director's most underrated films, Wind Talkers, a World War II film set in the Pacific Theatre starring Nicolas Cage, Adam Beach, Roger Willey, Christian Slater, and loads, loads more, including Peter Stormare, who is kind of like the best thing in this movie, even though he was only in it for like a few minutes, but whatever. It's all about the Navajo Code Talkers who were so instrumental in the defeat of Japan during that conflict. So with me today to wrap up Wu Season is a new but very fitting guest, so please give a warm welcome to the host of the Real Early Podcast and huge John Wu guy, Mr. Larry Sternshine. How you doing, Larry? I am good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure. Um, I thought when Wu Season came up, you're one of my uh, favorite Twitter followers, follows, I should say. Uh, and I know that you're a big John Woo guy, so I thought this would make sense. Um, and yeah, we've only really been focusing on like the uh, the American stuff. But yeah, I suppose I should let you introduce yourself to everyone. Let them know what you're all about, what the Real Early Podcast is, and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Larry Sternshine. I have a podcast called Real Early. It's spelled R-E-E-L. Uh, real early. So I just have a conversation with people uh, to find out how they started their cinematic obsessions. You know, so we talk about their childhood or in some cases, some people got into movies a little bit later. Um, like I had one person on, Josh Hunter, who's uh, started like in his early 20s, basically. He was more of a, like a comic guy or something. Uh-huh. You know, so it's kind of cool just to kind of hear all sorts of different people's you know, uh, history with, so it's like, um, I've had, uh, people in Australia and England and Germany and Canada and everybody's got similar and different ways they got into movies. So I think it's a very educational show sometimes too. I should probably tag that as educational because maybe I'll get some weird educational podcast fans to, <laughs> to listen. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I heard you on the Action Addicts podcast with Scott Wiley uh, a while back, um, and I actually, I actually found your John Woo account before I found the real early account. Yeah. <laughs> so you do yeah. something called Woo Vember, is it? Yeah. So um, five, six years ago, um, there is uh, basically every October there's horror movie things. So like, I was part of this group that would be watch thirty horror movies in the month of October and then eventually I had Letterboxd which is a social media for movie things and there's a challenge called Hooptober uh, for um, Toby Hooper and it's you know you watch 30 horror movies and there's there's like themes like watch a slasher movie or whatever so I was like man I just want to watch action movies in November so I was like oh I'll do an action movie challenge for myself and there's a message board for Outlaw Vern, who does movie reviews. And if you don't know who he is, he did a Steven Seagal book called Seagology. Uh, <laughs> it's a great book. He's a great writer. He's at outlawvern.com. And there's a message board. And I was talking about doing it, the, uh, this thing, Woovember, that only I had been doing. And 
my uh, friend there, Ole, is like, oh, that sounds awesome. I'm going to do it too. And then we just sort of have grown it into a letterbox challenge where it's similar to Hooptober where there's like, watch a Hong Kong movie. Watch, uh, we do a lot of like, if somebody passed away that year, it'd be like, watch a film with, you know, this particular person who passed away or whatever. And it's just a fun thing to do. And it's, it's not huge. There's not that many of us because it's November and there's a lot of stuff <laughs> happening in that month. But uh, it's still it's a lot of fun for those of us who do it. And I also was, during the pandemic, started a Twitter account because I saw all these other people posting video clips of movies. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this for John Woo and maybe get some people into Vember and stuff. So I appreciate that you that you found it and started following it because it's been a lot of fun. Uh, posting clips of John Woo movies. Hey, the the game to the Twitter algorithm is clearly John Woo clips. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of stalled a little bit, but that's okay because I hear when you get over a thousand followers, uh, your mentions get destroyed. So I'm uh, yeah. okay being underneath it. <laughs> yeah, and your DMs too. <laughs> um, I got weird DMs every now and then, but it's yeah. been pretty quiet mostly. Yeah, so we uh, we started our little Woo season back in april because um hard target is like one of my favorite movies of all time and i think it is like a banger of a dad movie as well and i felt vindicated i don't know if you saw halloween ends last year there's a bit where the dad in halloween ends is is watching hard target i was like vindication so i got to see hard target on the big screen hosted a private show and for all my friends who had never seen it before so that was kind of amazing um i thought it would make sense just to dive in and continue looking at you know the different american woo movies yeah i've listened to that episode you did on hard target because it's yeah. always fun to listen to people who love that movie too because uh, the very first ever podcast appearance i ever did was for my friend's uh, act, uh action drunkies podcast about hard target and uh that was the week i also had covid it was mm. just ending so i'm like it's one of those weird milestones first time podcasting First time talking to Hard Target and first time having COVID, so. <laughs> it was fun. Well, at least, like, you know, two of those things are really fun. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so we did Broken Arrow after that, and then uh, a few weeks ago, the episode has just come out at the time of recording, we did a face-off. And I was really racking my brain as to what we should do next, because um, there are a lot of amazing Woo movies, but in terms of, like, my dad's fear of woodum it was very kind of locked into the hollywood stuff i don't know if he ever saw you know hard-boiled or the killer um or any of that the 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 movies that we did when he was in hong kong but i did know that he had seen wind talkers and that is a film that i'd watched a few times growing up and always kind of thought was a little bit underrated you know you you watch a movie that you've always enjoyed and you go online and you see i know it's a cursed website but you look on rotten tomatoes and you see that it's got like it's only got like 20% and I was always kind of like so I was really curious to revisit it for this um, and yeah we'll get into that before before we get into Windtalkers I do need to ask you what to you is a dad movie <laughs> uh, I guess for me it's look when I think of dad movies I think of growing up watching TBS which was a super station in America uh, the Turner Broadcasting whatever that stood for so i'd be a lot of it's movies like a like, tcm yeah almost so i think of movies like the Beastmaster being a damn movie um there's all because i used to watch that all the time the, it would, 
the joke was it was the Beastmaster station was TBS. <laughs> you know, but then they'd also show, show things like Ice Station Zebra. Oh, hell yeah. So I, you know, it's which is funny. That's a movie I still haven't watched, but I remember seeing that commercial all the time going, oh, that looks interesting. So I should probably <laughs> actually finally watch that. Um, but like, you know, like similar to Wind Talkers, I think of, you know, a lot of older war movies being something that dads really are into just from the fact that it's very, in many ways, these movies are very macho and, you know, they like a lot of uh, macho type stuff, except for my dad. My dad now, by the way, watches just a ton of lifetime romantic comedy movies. It's kind of I hilarious. love that. <laughs> that that's, that's, his dad movies are, are, you know, whatever cheesy lifetime movie <laughs> is, you know, but generally speaking, I think of, you know, more of like macho as being kind of dad movies. Yeah, totally. I mean, the war genre definitely, like, I feel is the bread and butter um, of dad moviedom. And I think it's interesting as well because obviously, like, our fathers will have been tied to that generation that, you know, for World War II especially, we'll all, but that's a, con- that's a conflict that touched everyone's lives. I know that my, um, my great granddad fought, um, he was with the British in Asia um and yeah so world war ii was always like and my granddad well my great granddad was always a source of fascination for my dad um and like obviously you know post-war era world war ii movies are big so many get made in in the in the 50s 60s 70s um and yeah wind talkers is one that my dad loved because he liked nicholas cage as well he was a big nicholas cage fan um but overall this is a movie that doesn't really get spoken about a lot um and given that you're such a big Wu fan, I was surprised to discover that this is your first time watching Wind Talkers. Yeah, I'm kind of in a a weird conundrum where there'll be something that I kind of wasn't that interested at the time and I just never got around to watching it because, you know, like you were talking, it wasn't really well received, you know, and uh, just sort of started watching other movies and stuff instead. And, uh, I was kind of glad to finally get around to watching it, you know, just because having that time away from that movie, because it's been, what, like 20 years, basically, since that movie came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the other interesting thing, too, was I decided to watch the director's cut. So mm. I don't know what version you watched, but if it was a theatrical cut, we might have different feelings on it, which might be kind of interesting to kind of delve into. Yeah. I rented it on Amazon Prime, which I believe would just be the theatrical cut. I should have, I know I should have splurged for the director's cut because that's, it was, the thing was like, I remember looking it up on Letterboxd and seeing all these like um, four and five star reviews from, or four and a half star reviews from people that I really like their takes on that website. I tend to generally agree with. So I was very happy to see that, but they both mentioned that, well, they all mentioned that we were watching the director's cut. So I don't know if um, the quality, the difference in quality is amazing or not, because like, I enjoy the basic theatrical cut of Hard Target, although we have the European cut, so there's extra stuff in there. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> Just for fun, I like watched the trailer for Wind Talkers the other week, um, and it is the most gaudy post nine eleven trailer really? that is so antithetical to what the movie is about. Like they've got very stereotypical, like uh, heroic string music playing in the background. I think like the tagline is like this time America fights back or something like that. And the whole movie is basically a lament for war and, you know, how it makes animals of us all and stuff. And it was just kind of, it was, 
it's so of that era to have a trailer like that. Um, but maybe emblematic of how Hollywood kind of didn't understand or we were maybe as much as, you know, it should have. Um, the, the funny thing about that, when I was watching the movie, I was thinking about when it came out and I knew it, it bombed in theaters. Like nobody went and saw it. And it was one of those cases when you're talking here about the trailer, it feels like they weren't reading the room a little bit. Like, I don't think even a couple years later, I don't think people really wanted war movies. Nor does it help that it came not that long after Saving Private Ryan, which I think was still on people's minds as like the greatest war movie of all time. To have, you know, this one be very unrealistic too in many ways compared to that one. And Yeah. You already touched on something really interesting there about like the depiction of violence because it is both artful and brutal. You know, it has that typical kind of woo flair, that exaggerative, you know, people are doing bower like rolling around, doing you know, the kind of like there's a little tiny bit of bullet ballet every now and then. Um, but it's still when I think of wind talkers, I think of like rage and anger. When violence is rendered in this film, sometimes it is kind of, you know, it's got that that woo spectacle. Um but in many ways, even though it is so extravagant with its depictions, it does feel as close to the bone. You know, I say this as, as a bit of a woo novice. I only watched Bullet um, in the head the first time the other month, but stylistically, in terms of the way the violence is done from when it becomes more of a Vietnam movie there, it did remind me a lot of that in Wind Talkers, like that kind of, you know, this is just brutal, awful violence that, you know corrupts everything around you yeah, um yeah. it's never fun like uh don't be like there's stuff i'm watching I'm like man if this was just like you know a cops versus robbers movie and they were doing very similar choreography i would have been like probably clapping and you know being really excited but this one is just very it's not fun it's, it's kind of mean for both sides you know like you like you like the people that you're spending time with and some of them are unfortunately dying uh so it's like i don't know it's like a different it's different from other woo movies and i think that's another reason why it didn't quite work for some people and where i where i think as much as i love bolt in the head i think there's probably a lot of people that watch that movie now and be like this is depressing i'm like yeah (laughs) it's pretty rough i think i think john will understand (laughs) war is depressing i think he Mm -hmm. Who understands that, which is probably why it's hard for some people. Yeah, yeah. I um I put that on kind of expecting almost like a another hard boiled style movie. Um and yeah, it was it was stunningly brutal. I loved that film. Um it yeah, it's uh, I'm a big noir fan and I'm a big fan of like just brutal, brutalist shit endings and bullet in the head, you know, very much delivers in that effect. Yeah. Um yeah, so Windsor has already gave a brief overview of the movie. Um, you know, it is about the Navajo Code Talkers. Um, Nicholas Cage plays a non-commissioned officer in the U.S. Marines, a guy called uh, Joe Enders, um, and he is basically assigned by the Marines to look after newly assigned Code Talkers. So during the Second World War, the Americans devised a code-talking system that was based on the Navajo language, which the Japanese struggled to decipher. 
Um, and so he is assigned to protect the codes, the important thing there. He is not assigned to protect the Native American soldiers themselves. Um, he That's a private Ben Yazi and private Charlie Whitehorse, um, played by Adam Beach and Roger Willie, respectively. Um, so he was assigned to protect the code and there's a whole big thing about expendable soldiers and you know weighing up that decision of of the the mission versus the individual the the awful questions that war forces upon you the film also taps into you know racial discrimination and the legacies of um you know the u.s military in terms of you know these are these are native american soldiers fighting for an institution that for centuries persecuted them and um yeah it's a lot of fascinating material here um that Wu has to work with um i do think it's up for debate over how well uh it dives into that discussion um but for the most part i think it's really successful and i very much enjoy this film and i think it is one of the great kind of um it's very underrated and overlooked i would say and i think that in regards to like depictions of the, of the war it's one of the most unique i've ever seen you know, it's, I, I don't want to get necessarily too political, but it's kind of hard not to during war movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that I was just thinking about is if they were to release this movie today, I'm kind of curious what the general consensus would be because I could definitely see people going, oh, they've made <laughs> they made war woke. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Because like, I'm watching yeah. this, like, like literally the whole one person's whole arc is super racist to wait a minute, we're, we're actually going to be sitting down at a table together one day and maybe we're going to do that with the Japanese, he said at one point. And yes. I'm like, but now like those same people are just, they've like doubled back down. They've came, it's really weird. Like I would totally see them being like, war is woke now. And I'm yeah. like, like we used to be a little bit, a little better at this, at least in America. I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but we're we're really bad now at coming together like we used to be able to yeah no it's interesting to think about because you know we don't really world war ii movies aren't really a fixture anymore at the big screen i can't i'm tr- struggling to think of the last big budget world war ii unless i'm having a major blind spot right now i can't uh dunkirk would have been the one that that comes to mind most recently um, yeah which um that was from like a british perspective i believe right mm-hmm yeah so yeah. I, I don't think there's been like a big American World War Two because I think we're still focusing on making Afghanistan movies because mm-hmm. like two that are coming out this year, and I feel like some of those have similar themes to Wind Talkers, especially that new one that came out uh, that Guy Ritchie did. Oh, the Covenant. Yeah, which has you know like uh, an American and. Uh, Afghan interpreter, yeah. I think it's important to have those movies, but it's they're not making them that much. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. and I think when we look like if we look back at World War Two, that was a time that like most of us were pretty united against like Nazis and stuff, you know. And now it's like everyone's like feels like they're siding with Nazis sometimes. It's just yeah. <laughs> the the interesting thing with Wind Talkers and why I think it's a story that you know it had to be set in world war ii and not just that it had to be set in the pacific is the um it's the idea of revenge um because obviously the conflict in europe that was a you know it wasn't germany that brought 
the United States since World War II. It was Japan. It was the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, and that sentiment of revenge, you know, ideologically partially motivated by racism. Um, and obviously because Japan was a tyrannical state that was laying waste to vast swaths of uh, Asia um, and had already been engaged with the other allies. Um, but I like how Wind Talkers as a movie dives into that idea of revenge you know the beginning of the film enders is in the solomon islands with his unit that all get massacred you know in pretty brutal ways and he's not able to save them so and you know is quite seriously wounded and then fakes his way well you know bluffs his way back into frontline combat duty not out of a sense of you know um wanting to win but because he wants to inflict pain and one of my favorite scenes in the movie um is when they 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 first land i forget which battle it depicts it's the battle of saipan isn't it it's the battle of saipan when they first land um and he's just going at them with his tommy gun and he's got a pure look of animalistic rage again i think it's another reason why you couldn't have had anyone but cage play this role he does that kind of expressionistic take so well um and i love that kind of arc that endis has that you know it comes from a point of this you know realizing that that war has made a monster of him and that he now needs to fight to survive and save his men which is kind of what he gets in the end it's a cool journey i really like that for the character yeah it's funny you you mentioned that i spent i want to say a good 60% 60% of the movie thinking that Nicolas Cage was uh, miscast because it just mm. felt like he just was kind of aloof and not really into it. He just, it just, I, I was more interested in the Christian Slater. Uh, He's great. <laughs> uh, character and his relationship with um, White Horse. With White Horse more so than the other relationship that spent most of the, the movie with. Uh, but I think that is part of the reason why I think eventually I liked the movie because it he needed to go through a lot in order for him to finally understand what he had been turned into and what he was turned into I I just didn't quite understand until he sort of you know went through that whole situation of you know having to sacrifice somebody and realizing that like that doesn't help anybody in the long run so that was so it's interesting you know to talk about how that character was just like i don't know about this i'm not really into this and then to ha- to have a turn mm. um, so yeah and, and i think you're right i think having nicholas cage sort of having doing that because when he he can also do a lot of acting with his eyes oh and he, so expressive <laughs> yeah and he's not doing a whole lot of like talking in this movie you know so i that's why I, I think it was just a little bit too understated for me to to understand until when the movie's nearly over. You're like, oh, okay, I get it now. He's really good at doing the a thousand yard stare, and it wouldn't surprise me if when he was preparing for this role that he was looking at a lot of like combat footage and looking into kind of like the, the you know I feel like World War II photography is a great reference point for actors because it's so and for, and for productions overall because it really does convey that kind of vacant you know the idea of like transitioning and 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 morphing into something 
and that idea and i think that you know wind talkers really does convey that so well and everyone in the film transforms to a degree you know every film has a character arc for different people obviously but the theme of transformation is a big one here um especially you know like it's great you you mentioned the christian slater character there uh ox henderson who is paired with um uh whitehorse and they immediately get on like a house on fire because they're both given the same orders at the beginning of the film but enders is instantly like well I don't want to get attached to anyone because I've seen all my men be massacred beforehand and also because I've been given this quote-unquote important mission. Um, so he doesn't want to get close to to Yazi and you know actively antagonizes him for most of the movie, um, not because he dislikes him, but because you know he wants to be he, he wants to remove that sense of responsibility, that that human element to him. Whereas with Henderson uh, Ox. He uh he really embraces that. And I love the stuff they do with the the flute and the um the harmonica, and they start playing together. It's really cool. I think yeah, that deliberately I think you know they are meant to be the more like Ox is meant to be the more likable person for the majority of this movie. And it's only again it's only because he hasn't experienced what Enders has. You know, it's all from a it's all from a sense of perspective. Ox has the humanity in him, and when he goes to war, the Enders is already lost. Yeah, and and I think that's why it was hard for him to, you know, pull the the trigger that he needed to, uh, so he doesn't get captured. Um, but it's just like it, that that scene was like really hard, you know, to yeah. watch just because, like these two are like friends, and his whole thing was he's he's got to kill him, but he can't do it. So Nicholas Cage does it in like the most brutal fashion possible by by grenade, but like um. I'm glad though that we didn't. I, I think it would have been a even more sadder movie though if we were following Ox's character and he had to be the one who, who killed that character. And I feel like if we would have then seen, put it this way, we've already been through that whole situation of my friends all died and now I'm sad about it. And if we had to have done it again with another character, it would have been a bit much. Which I think mm. is another reason probably why they had that more positive relationship between the two just so you can see the difference between him and Nicolas Cage's character um, to make the movie a little bit more emotionally resonant and you know so it allows you to have both sides of the the argument of should you or shouldn't you Mm -hmm. you know do that sort of thing yeah totally Um, so because we we talked about there about the the scene where Ox you know, he makes the fateful choice and it's that great shot where he's holding the gun to Whitehorse and they're looking at each other and he's just like, I can't do this. And you have that, that great moment where he, he pulls the gun on the Japanese infantry that are coming at him. And you have that really brutal moment as well where he gets decapitated by the katana. Yeah. Um, it's just really sad. Um, and yeah, I guess we already touched on it a little bit earlier about that kind of that balance between the um the extravagant and the kind of you know down to earth brutality that wind talkers has like i am curious to to hear your thoughts on like the violence overall because you mentioned that if it was a cops and robbers thing you would have been like oh whoa, this is really cool um do you think overall like the two styles blend well or well it's funny because you know i i talked to some friends who 
you know, they're like in the military and stuff. They're really big on um, making things realistic. And uh, I'm watching this movie, and there are times where like Nicolas Cage has this machine gun, but it's like real low, and it just, I was like, this is, uh, doesn't seem very authentic. So it was kind of weird to, to have that sort of like cool chow and fat thing going in like a war setting. So it, I wish, I kind of wish John would have been a little bit more tactical in how he would have filmed some of those scenes. I think it would have helped with the context of some of the other stuff we're seeing in World War II as opposed to having a lot of like sliding down hills and, you know, doing the kind of cool stuff that, that John's, you know, good at doing, which I think is another reason why it didn't really kind of work for a lot of people because it just feels a little bit more of fantasy land war than war war like you would see like in a like a vietnam movie yeah you know there's definitely liberties taken with the actual like depictions of the battles themselves as well um True. like the way that you have the marines kind of advancing through saipan the way it's depicted in the movie it feels almost like ancient warfare you know you've got these these huge throngs of infantry basically in a big column charging straight at a hill uh, that is like held by the japanese defenders which obviously you know there were like there were moments like that but like the way that it's the, the sense of scale is prioritized over the sense of like you know historical accuracy as well as the kind of aesthetic flair of it all the one thing that i was disappointed by given that there is such an emphasis on cool peter stillmare is such a cool guy in this movie he just looks i love peter stillmare is one of those actors that i love whenever he shows up and he plays a guy that who's nicknamed the Viking. They lean into his whole Scandinavian background here. Yeah. And he's like the main kind of uh, commanding officer of the recon unit that they're attached to. Um, and it, But the entire movie, he's carrying around this like 1897 trench gun, right? Yeah. <laughs> Does he get to use it once? No. <laughs> the, the most badass thing Peter Stormare does in this entire movie is uh, devour a jar of pickled herring. Which, to be fair, great. I love it. <laughs> it's a cool meal to get shipped out to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I wish he'd done some... Because Wu is such a big shotgun fan <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, that one... Um, I don't re- remember if he does a whole lot in the director's cut. Mm. Um, I don't know, Peter, the, his character... It didn't really make as much of an impression on me. It just felt weird that he was in it. Like, I didn't even know he was in it. He was like, oh, it's Peter Stormare. <laughs> oh, he's here. <laughs> it's, it's always, he's just like a, such a, a weird, interesting actor that I was like surprised he even showed up in it. But he didn't quite hit for me as some of the other characters did. Who were your favorites apart from the, the guys we've discussed? Well, it's funny because the the movie has a pretty good cast and I think the the one person that surprised me the most, because I didn't even realize he was in it until I started watching it, was Mark Ruffalo. I completely missed... Right, this is ridiculous. So I, I was looking at the cast before I started watching. I was like, oh, Mark Ruffalo was in this? It genuinely took until, like, the final... The back half of the movie where he's got a bit of stubble on his face yeah. when it's not just the mustache for me to go, wait, it's Mark Ruffalo? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was... He, was off, he just got off set working at, like, a swashbuckling... <laughs> movie from the 20s you know because he had like that that sort of uh like errol flynn like mustache 
It's... He's going for the he's well, he's like the Greek luck, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's the other interesting thing, I guess, because um, not to not to interject as we go into like the 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 different cast and stuff, but you know the kind of um, the, the 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 platoon or squad that we have here is very big in like a melting pot nation type way. You know, Enders is Italian. Obviously, Yahtzee and Whitehorse are, you know, they're they're Native American. Um, we have uh, Peter Stolmer, who I think is like got like a Swedish background. Yeah. Um, we've got um, Clusters, who's kind of like, you know, country boy, good old boy type guy. And then um, we've got Ox, who's from California. So we've got like kind of like a really big mix of of different people in the cast, but but yeah, I'll, I'll let you talk more about um, Ruffalo and you. I don't. Your, I just, the faith there's players. something about I like. I wanted. I liked his character and um, some of the other ones. Like I was. I wish we spent more time with them than we did with some of the other people. Um, but I, I mean, we do spend enough time where like once when one of them does does die, it's really sad. Um, but like. There's something about Mark Ruffalo's eyes that just convey a sadness all the time that I like. I want to know more about what he was thinking, mm-hmm. and I liked like the relationship that he was having with like uh, what Martin Henderson's in this as a young, yes. young guy who's like got the oh shucks I gotta get home to my wife character <laughs> like the most like like uh, stereotyped World War Two yeah. character. It's, it's funny because yeah, they, the 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 unit dynamics here outside of the. Um the code talking aspect they are quite cliched and generic um but i found myself so reeled into all of them you know like it is um in many ways it is like hellfish from the simpsons where you've got like all the different guys of their own little you know stereotypes or whatever um but when it comes to the point where they're actually like those those little moments do land very well for me and I'm, i'm curious were they really expanded upon in the director's cut well, look, the director's card's mostly violence. Ah, so, uh, okay. I'm guessing you see more of Christian Slater's head then. You do. <laughs> yeah. Which was, uh, I was like, man, that's br- friggin' brutal. Like, to get mm. your head chopped off is never fun. Uh, I was like, man, why? Is- <laughs> Speaking from experience. He lost his head. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's, I don't think there's anything, like, necessarily extra with some of these guys. There might have been. I don't know, but... You do spend a decent amount of time with each character uh, and their camaraderie with each other, which I, 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 I'm I a big fan of those scenes in, in war movies. Uh, just kind of see how people are handling the situation they're in. Uh, and everybody handles it much different than everyone else does. Um, but, like, it's still very... There's still a lot of stereotypes and stuff. Like, Noah Emmerich's character, uh, he was just like just cartoonishly racist in some ways yep and i was yep. like but you know his he had to have an arc like he had to be super racist till i got saved by white horse who's also like <laughs> i like that guy more than ben mm. like he was like a really cool interesting character it's that's where i was like that's where my my biggest problem with the movie was is just with the two leads, I wasn't as interested in most of the movie as I was everyone else. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's what happens with supporting characters a lot. They they give them quirks and interesting stuff to do because they're not in a movie as long as somebody else. 
So you... How can you not be charmed yeah. by Christian Slater's smile? Yeah. He's got that twinkle in his eye. <laughs> and uh, my, I think my favorite character was probably uh, Brian Van Holt's character. Mm. And he has... Is he, the, is he the flamethrower? Yeah, and he has the worst yeah. fucking death in that movie. Oh, man, it's so sad. And I... I that that entire bit where they get to the village, I think, is so well done. I think that's probably the high point of the film for me, where it crystallizes all the different yeah. themes and stuff. For sure. Um, but yeah, he um, he goes out basically trying to reassure, you know, this traumatized girl, and they hit the flamethrower tank, and he's set on fire, and Joe has to put him out of his misery. Yeah, it's brutal as hell. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's. I think it's probably longer in the in the director's cut too, because he's like on fire for like it feels like forever. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's a great so mirror sad. image because earlier in the movie when they first land on Saipan, he sets he sets fire to a, a metal bunker, and one of the Japanese soldiers comes out writhing in flames. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I might be, I, might, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly or not, but I swear they say don't shoot them or let them burn or something. Um, and he's just looking at them, like, burning to death. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's all about that kind of lost humanity and stuff. Yeah. Like, that, that, and even though the movie does put the Japanese enemy, quote-unquote, at quite a distance, you know, they're more of a... Not omnipotent force, but they are like you know they they are they are a force that exerts itself in terrifying ways over the course of the film. Um, it's it's moments like that that you know I don't know if subtle is the right word, but it it reminds them. You know, you mentioned the the conversation that Custer has earlier on where he's talking about like oh you know I'm gonna uh, in how many ever years time will probably be. Sitting down with the Japanese will be our friends and stuff like that. It's going into that whole idea of like war is temporary and it creates such mon- such monstrous conditions, but maybe in a hopeful way, it, the brutality is reminding us all of our own. I don't know. I'm making a very arty farty wanky statement here. Oh no, I, I think that's what thoughts, they're going yeah. for in the movie. Yeah, I mean the the like John is talked about like how he you know wanted the movie to be more about like the friendship and how they they form their their bonds in uh, circumstances of war and a little bit more introspective about the whole thing and the studio wanted you know the war picture like just the war yeah you know so I, there's like those those forces are like fighting with each other which i think with the happens a lot with John Woo's American movies is they don't let him necessarily go full on what he wants to do. Uh, that I can see why he eventually got frustrated and was just like, I'm out of here. And then got to make um, Redcliffe like uh, a couple of years after he left uh, Hollywood. And it's one of the greatest like movies and it's also a great war picture as well. It's on my list. And he's I'm got, getting around to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a long one, obviously, because there's two parts to it essentially. Um, but like he gets all of his themes he wants to do in, and he also gets his tactical stuff, and it's very interesting. It's a great movie, and he gets to do. A, there's also cool John Woo stuff in it too, and it works. So like, I feel like if they would have just trusted John in America more. We would have gotten, as 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 it is, we got good movies. But like some of these could have been great movies, mm. but the studio just loves. To, they just don't understand 
They don't understand John. It's weird. This the, the, the rest, they ask for woo and then they get given woo and they're like, whoa, yeah. it's too much woo. They're like, whoa, 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 woo. <laughs> you know? What's the big idea? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but it's terrible uh, that they just don't let him do his thing. But like this, the stuff though that like you could totally see what he's going for, I think works the best in the the movies. It's the the, the non war stuff is what I like the most. Like yes, the war stuff is like I mean it's cool and everything, but I just like the the conversations that they had with each other. Yeah, I would I would have liked to see more of that stuff and less of the rah rah, we're in a war scenes. It's interesting because I totally agree, and I kind of think that's it, I could be so I could be completely wrong here but i felt like that was almost by design is that you want all this time you're wanting the movie to pause so you can be with these guys but by the sheer fact that it is war they're not given the time to live so what on to the next exhaustive action set piece um and it is it is exhausting like it's uh it's relentless like you know there's the cruelest things that could happen on the battlefield happen in wind talkers um and this probably this probably took a lot of people off guard to be honest when when it came out i think like that that whole aspect of like well no this is the most brutal thing that could happen and again that, that feels weird to say in the wake of stuff like saving private ryan the thin red line but when you look at how this movie was marketed and i go back to that trailer that i watched the other week which was truly the most deranged thing i've ever seen maybe people are coming into that thinking you know we're gonna get a big heroic war movie all about how great you know this melting pot nation is and what they actually come away with is like, you know, this is a very thoughtful kind of introspective look at, you know, what war does to people and what happens in, in the course of that and how we change and, and, and the brutality that is inflicted there. It's not it's not triumphant at all. And even the ending where they get their victory, it's a Pyrrhic victory and it's it's ultimately a kind of mournful, you know, there's a bit of peace at the end, but it's still it's still mournful in its approach to everything. Yeah. The uh, the other thing too, I, I think would have helped that movie too, is if they would have had more Native American, like Navajo characters in it. And yes. were a little bit more up, up front as opposed to just sort of like the movie is intensively about them, but they're still side characters. And I feel like, you know, if they would have made that, I would have, I, it would have been nice if they, if one of the writers was like Navajo or something. I think it's neither one of them are. I think it's two white guys. But um, yeah. I, it would have, it would have been like if they would have made a movie now, they would have had more input from people that I think might have helped that story more. Because I don't think the whole Navajo part of it is all that successful. Yeah, I think, I think, I think what you needed more. I think you needed more time before they go to war. I was really fascinated by like, because the way that their backstory is told, it's 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 incremental, you know. Like you get you get snippets here and there, you know. We learned that that Ben was raised Catholic, and you know, and, and all that stuff. And like, I feel like that is one of those things that is good to get from that from that area. But it would have been interesting to see. I think you're right. The movie is it it leaves you wanting for conversation. You know, you yeah. really want to to just. Because the characters are inherently fascinating, and there's a lot of good material here. But you do wish, you know, at least for me, I find myself wishing they they, they scratch beneath the surface a bit deeper, and especially with with Yazi and and, and Whitehorse, because those two are so well acted and so well performed. Yeah. And yeah, just I 
definitely do wish there was more of them. And I, I do know that a um, little bit that I've I've read over the years that the whole idea that like they had a a person assigned to kill one of them if they're going to capture apparently that's all just made up stuff that's not actually anything that really happened mm-hmm. in there but like the story of the Navajo wind talkers and stuff I I feel like we should revisit that because I think and especially now because we're getting a lot more stories from the Native American perspective that I think we kind of owe it to ourselves to just you know to have that story told a little bit deeper you know Absolutely. something else and what we have now is great and it can lead to finding out more because there's I'm sure there's books and stuff about there there are so many for a war that was so massive and affected pretty much you know it touched every single corner of the globe affected everyone um it is kind of wild how limited like hollywood depictions of the conflict have been you know it's usually restricted to the american and british perspective mostly um it's rare that you'll get something that dives into you know and and in regards to to going more into the american side it's very rare that you get stuff that focuses on you know the black units of world war ii or the native american contributions or you know the Japanese American contributions and the the, the Asian American contributions more generally. Then you go into stuff like Europe and you know like the Dutch resistance and all that, and then going all the way to like China and Southeast Asia and stuff. It's it's a massive war that we have seen rendered through quite a limited perspective. Um, and as someone who is big into history, like I'm always down for. I enjoy learning more and more about the kind of fascinating stories of world war ii that aren't as famous um and i feel like wind talkers for me at least you know we're with it's not a part of our history curriculum in the united kingdom um i feel like that fits the bill um but yeah i totally agree that we need more that dives into those perspectives because we've not had nearly enough of it but also, don't get me wrong, though. I mean, I still think the movie's good. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I rated it four stars on my letterbox. Same. But um, I really, I thought about it because I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go three and a half. But I think ultimately I, I like the film. And three and a half, four is always kind of an iffy kind of distinction. I have like, in my head, what they all mean. This just sort of helps me sort of like kind of gauge what I watched for the whole year. But um. I think it's better than people gave it credit for. Um, but, like, I don't think it's, like... I don't think it's John was best movie or anything. <laughs> or in, like, the top five or whatnot. But I, I definitely think it de- it deserves a a watch at least once. And I think, uh, you know, maybe a reevaluation on its merits is probably good. It's, it's because it's... I mean, it is really well-directed. The acting is really good. I mean, it's well-made. And I, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed the characterizations and stuff. So don't get me wrong that saying that, like, oh, I wish they would just remake it and make it different. It was a, it's a good starting point. And it's a good John Woo movie. Hell yeah. You know? And then he, uh, he just fought. I mean, it's it's a shame, too. Again, like we talk about, it's just, you know, he this was, had to have been the beginning of the end of him wanting to, to leave Hollywood just because his frustration of them not letting him do his full vision. You know, but at least what we have is still pretty good, though. And it's we have a director's cut, and that is about the closest of what he would really want 
you know, so it's, it could be worse. It could just be like, here's a theatrical cut, and we don't even get his thoughts on it. So. Uh, I need to get this director's cut in my in my system, man. I need yeah. to jump on this. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to see um, what you notice is a difference, if if any. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually curious. What is what are your top five Wu movies, or is that a very uh, <laughs> kind of difficult uh, question? No, I mean it's it's pretty pretty standard stuff. It's yeah. like The Killer, Hard Boiled, Bullet in the Head, Hard Target, Face Off. I guess would be five, but I mean I love a better tomorrow too. I like mm-hmm. that one better than the first one, which is a very unpopular opinion. Uh, not that I don't think better tomorrow is bad. I think it's awesome, <laughs> but like, you know, um, I like almost I like almost all of his movies, and there's still movies I haven't of his I haven't actually even seen yet uh, because of availability and whatnot. Yeah, so many, especially like for us in the UK, like. It was only like the other week that um, Bullet in the Head and Hard Boiled came back on digital, and it's still only in SD, wasn't in HD. Yeah, I don't don't think think we have that in America. Like I looked it up, and I think you guys have it, but we don't. Oh, so bizarre, man! Uh, I've 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 still got so I really need to watch The Killer um, and A Better Tomorrow, and yeah, and and so much. But it's yeah, it's the availability issues so annoying. Yeah, Um, it's weird too because, like, apparently, according to my friend Matt. Um, he was saying that they're, we know how to get them they're just asking for lots of money for them because they know what they have mm. so but the rumors are that Criterion got the rights back to the killer and hard boiled and maybe others so there's always in the back of my mind of like they're going to release like a like they did with Bruce Lee just like the John Woo Hong Kong collection and it's just like all these oh, movies damn. Like every yeah, single yeah. Hong Kong movie I'll be like take my money yeah, yeah. I mean, they did that. They did the the big Infernal Affairs trilogy the other year, didn't they? Yeah. As well. So, like, yeah, totally like a big box set. Oh my god. There's I a lot be... more Hong Kong movies coming out now, which is great. Yeah. Because, especially with China and their censorship that they will do whenever they want, you know, it's it's a fear that I have that a lot of these movies would get lost forever. Mm, yeah. But uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of boutique labels are starting to release a lot more I was going to say, this is the best time to be a physical media guy, I feel. Like, I am, I really, for years, like, I, um, because I used to be a big, like, Blu-ray DVD guy, and then I got into streaming, and then I was like, oh, do we need to get anything? And then I had the big epiphany of the year. It's like, I should just buy what I want to watch, and then I'll have it, and I don't have to worry about it. And all these streaming catalogs are so limited anyway. Um, And then, like, you know, coming back into it and having stuff like, Arrow and like 88 films and uh, like Criterion as well obviously should be going forever um, but it definitely you know it's so good that we have all all that available so fingers crossed we do get some more woo home releases because I'm desperate I've got some blind spots I need to fill <laughs> oh yeah for sure um, there's I mean his, his stuff is uh, it's all good um, there's one that I there's a couple I really want to see I mean I want to see them all obviously but the one I'm most interested in, and it's very similar situation to Wind Talkers, is his uh, The Crossing, which is like mm. a two movie thing he did uh, around that sort of same time period, and like it's not available on physical media. Nobody seems to like them, and I'm like, I, I have to see those. Like, I want to know what the story <laughs> is because I have a feeling I will like them, yeah, most likely, because um, I like Manhunt. Nobody seems to like that one, so. <laughs> 
which I think is probably on Netflix by you guys, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll have to look this up. That was like um, his uh, last movie he made. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've not really been keeping up. He's is he directing a, a remake of The Killer as well? Do I? Yeah, I think right now yeah. he's doing it in Paris because the lead is a French actor, and he's oh, been okay. showing a lot of pictures in Paris. So I'm assuming Neat. he's filming that now, and he's got Silent Night coming out later this year. I can't wait for the trailer for that one, so I can get excited for when it finally comes out. Lovely. So yeah, I think I think this has been Wind Talkers. I think there's um that pretty much covers everything. I think unless there's anything else you wanted to add. Um, no, I I kind of want to learn more about that sort of the the Navajo experience in World War Two, just to kind of flesh out that whole thing more and kind of learn about it um and i think that's the cool thing about some movies that will get you to want to learn more about their subject absolutely and i think this is a good one to to make you want to seek it out and um you know it's 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 one i could see uh somebody watching with their dad on on a sunday afternoon because it's on (laughs) on tbs yeah 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 totally it was always for us it was always on tv i'm like we have like a channel called film four which is uh yeah it would usually be like the nine o'clock or like half eleven showing on a friday or saturday or something like that yeah it usually fits that slot um but yeah larry thank you so much for joining me thank you for um, having me i had a great time it's been a pleasure talking to you and honestly I, I feel very privileged that I was able to help a John Woo completionist on his on his on his path to <laughs> yeah it's weird watching it's, all the woo it's weird what I what I will will not have seen like there's so many movies and someone will be like you've never seen them like yeah but there was like a bunch of like martial arts DTV movies I had to watch in the 90s <laughs> exactly and also it's it's always a good thing to watch them for the first time yeah. you know uh, for the amount of movies that I've seen, if I could replicate that feeling of watching something for the first time with someone else, I'd absolutely do. I just get excited yeah. for people and they say they haven't seen something. I'm like, hell yeah, you got to watch it. And yeah, you got to do that time. with Hard Target. So, pretty yeah, cool. I did. I got to give that gift to everyone. Yeah. It was so funny. Although I will say, when the lights came down, it did feel like I'd taken in my my entire room of friends hostage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if I got uh, held hostage for that, I would be happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh where can everyone find you on social media? Uh well you can find me on Twitter. Well, I'll say this. The easiest way is go to my link tree, uh linktree.com slash real early. I'll uh, put that link tree in in the description of the podcast as well. There's that and then and if you're on Twitter you could go to at Woovember, W O O V E M B R and then from there you can find my real early Twitter too. Which is not real awesome. early. It's double H fifty five. My original Twitter account got switched over, but the cool. link tree has all that stuff. So awesome! Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll tweet that out along with this when this episode goes out. But yeah, this has been the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Uh, before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, if you want to go and support the podcast. On Patreon, you can do so. We are We Love Dad Movies there. You get episodes early. You can ask questions, although everyone on the Patreon seems to be very shy and doesn't ask questions, but that's okay. They're entitled not to. Um, You also get the occasional essay from me. Um, Yeah, I would appreciate if you guys, if you enjoy this stuff, go check it out. If not, I appreciate the listens anyway. Um, You can go follow the We Love Dad Movies podcast on Twitter at 
We Love Dad Movies. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ewan Bruins Things. I'm also around on Letterboxd and Instagram. We're everywhere, folks. We're everywhere. Um, yeah, this concludes Woo season. Um, coming up after that, there's a bit of a Harrison Ford thing going on. So probably going to do The Fugitive next. Um, and then I'm getting Dan Grima up the way from the Roarington to watch Air Force One on the big screen. So that'll be a laugh. But yeah, uh, this has been We Love Dad Movies. Thank you all so much for listening. And I'll hopefully see you next time. Bye.